You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 29 West Tolpehawken Street. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.net. I just want to take a moment to introduce to you Bethany Stewart, who's going to speak to us tonight. She is uh, one of our cell leader coordinators um, with our South Broad congregation, but she helps to lead the whole church in many ways. She, she leads a cell in West Philly, and she is also the team leader of our Circle Mobilizing Because Black Lives Matter team. Um, and together they lead us as a church um, into a lot of that uh, work that is required to participate in the turning that we just sang about, in the freeing of captives, in the fight against injustice. Um, So we're really grateful for the work that Bethany does with passion and joy, and um, that she's also, that she's here to speak to us tonight uh, to consider Miriam and the prophets together. So thank you, Bethany, for being here. Come on up. Hey, y'all. Hey, Marquita. Hey, so I'm Bethany, Um, like Julie said, um, and it's the first week of Advent. I love the Christmas season and I love following the liturgical calendar and, you know, doing Advent with the, um, with Circle of Hope. Um, We're going to be discussing the prophets, um, but like I said, we're also journeying through the Advent calendar with the church worldwide. Um, So I kind of just want to take a moment to honor our brothers and sisters across the globe that are um, anticipating the birth of Christ with us. So, like Julie said, I'm Bethany, um, and I go to South Broad. Um, I've been a part of Circle for about five years now. I've been a cell leader, not a cell leader. I've been a part of a cell for about five years, and I've been a covenant member, which means that I've like said, hey, in front of everybody, I wanna commit to you. Um, for about three and a half years. Um, and Julie mentioned this as well. This is what happens when like you have something written down and you gotta stick to it, because Julie said all of this, but deal with it, I'm gonna say it again. I lead our church's compassion team, Circle Mobilizing Because Black Lives Matter. I lead that team with Andrew Yang. And that team has also produced a participatory defense hub, which are these weekly meetings that we have every Monday night at South Broad to help people navigate their criminal court cases. Um, And I do a few things outside of the church as well. Um, I organize with BLM Philly sometimes, and one of my biggest passions is the Philadelphia Community Bail Fund. We're a grassroots organization that helps bail people out of jail, Um, and those people are often poor black and brown folks when they can't afford their bail. So I say all of that to say, and I also have this in the board, not for you guys to pat me on the back. You can do that afterwards if you would like. But I say all that to say that I really try to live my life prophetically. And what I mean that by that is that I really try to live into the ways in which I believe that God is calling us to live um, based on his scriptures and to live with the freedom uh, to which he desires for us. And for me, that looks like my community organizing work, right? But I definitely, I wouldn't have said that a few years ago, right? I wouldn't have thought of community organizing as living prophetically. Um, And I don't think I would have even said that a few months ago. I kind of had this, I kind of had this like warped view of 
what prophecy was. And I even had a sort of warped experience with the prophetic based on my um, childhood church upbringing. Um, so I'm going to show you a clip, and Jeffy's going to bring that clip up for me in a moment, of um, what I, how I kind of viewed prophecy, what I kind of thought of it. Who, who asked you to go out of town? The stupid young one or the married one? The married one. That's what I thought. Don't go, you hear me? Hmm. And you know what? You're not listening to me because I see you going. <laughs> I see you going. I'm just telling you, I'm trying to help you to avoid the heartache. Don't go blindly through life. Let me use the power of the tarot to show you the way. Call me now for your free reading. Call 1-800-355-3765. Thank you. So shout out to the early 2000s. My line sister does, um, I say line sister, I joined a historically black sorority when I was in college, and when I was um, joining my, my sorority, my line sister did this hilarious impression of Miss Cleo that she used to do all the time, it would kill me. So that's kind of how I thought of prophecy, right? Like it felt like this silly thing, it felt like this show, and for years, I just had this tainted view and experience with prof the prophetic. I had this very fantastical, evangelical framework for it that kept me from being able to really connect with or even respect the prophetic. Um, it kind of just felt like a show, like I said. I just thought of it, sorry, we're probably recording this. I just thought of it as this evangelical fluff that came to my church with a charismatic preacher every few months. Um, and it kind of caused my childhood church to get into a tizzy especially if it was a single man. And I also felt like it was just about material things, right? And I hoped that I or my family would get picked for these material things that the prophet spoke about or prophesied into people's lives. And my family never got picked. So most often because of that, I felt really let down by prophets and thus prophecy. Why didn't my family get prophesied a fancy new car or this fancy new house? I just thought of it as this materialistic idea of what prophecy was. Um, to me, it got people something, right? Prophecy was about getting people something. And my family, we were never getting anything, and that made me really mad at like 10 years old. But what I didn't realize as a child and what I've had the pleasure of growing into is that the prophetic isn't about getting us something. It's not about materialism. It's not about acquiring something. But the prophetic is about taking us somewhere as a, bo as a body of Christ together. So I did a little etymological, I think I made that word up, deal with it, research to help um, secure this framework for myself. So I kind of looked up, well, what's the root word of promise? And like, what's the root of the word prefix? Um, so when I looked that up, so when I looked up the root of uh, the prefix pro, it's derived from the Latin for moving forward. So for me, that really made me think about the word prophecy and prophetic. Um, so the way that I like to think of prophecy is that prophecy is in fact 
a promise from God to move his people forward, as opposed to just handing somebody something. As a circle of hope, we base our definition of prophecy um, very simply off of the scriptures listed in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, um, Ephesians 4, 11, and Romans 12, 6. Um, and we define it like this. Prophecy is the gift of grace God gives members of the body of Christ by which they can receive and communicate messages he gives them for others concerning present or even future situations. So I really like to settle into that idea and kind of combine all of those um, definitions and ideas of prophecy into thinking of it as um, this forward-moving thing that God is not only sharing with us, but also promising us. Leaning into the promises or prophecies of God, though, is tremendously uncomfortable for us, right? Does anybody just like immediately say like, God, I'm totally gonna follow you, that's great. Does anybody ever feel like that? Um, you guys are quiet. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know anybody that's ever just like, hey, God, cool, totally following you, feel good about that. It's always this kind of uncomfortable thing. Um, I can think of my mother saying oftentimes, and I kind of think this is an anxious response from her as well, but I can hear her saying, well, Bethany, I'm just trusting God. And as soon as I hear her say those words, I kind of feel this jolt of anxiety come up for me. And, dis and that anxiety comes up despite the countless times throughout the scriptures that God made good on his promises. And um, even though I have personally experienced God making good on his promises to me um, and his prophecies to me, I still feel anxious. Um, so nonetheless, it's just not a comfortable situation um, to live into the prophetic. As we navigate the transition or even that kind of liminal space between where we are presently and where God is taking us, we experience the very discomfort that comes with living into the unknown of that moment. The glamorous prophetic that I experienced growing up within my church, or even by watching Benny Hen on TV. Does anybody remember Benny Hen? Um, I should take something and be like, whoosh, and all of you guys just fall over. Um, but even watching Benny Hen on TBM with my mother, it isn't quite an accurate depiction of what it truly means to sit in that, dis to sit in that discomfort of transitioning into God's promises and into God's prophetic. As humans, we really like stability. Um, even as children, babies cry because they kind of instinctively know that their needs will be met by a consistent person in their life. And prophecy doesn't necessarily run synonymous with stability or even predictability. You're told the end point, but you don't know the journey and discomfort that comes with getting to that end point. And it's further uncomfortable to be prophetic or to be identified as a prophet. And we're gonna get um, to talking about one specific prophet as I go on. Um, but prophet, prophets are persecuted left and right. So I just wanna ask you all, who are some biblical prophets that you think of that we commonly talk about during the Advent season? 
Isaiah, Jeremiah, I don't know who that is, but I'm going to say Micah confidently like I did the other ones. He's what? Oh, is he one of those small books towards the back of the Old Testament? Okay. They're all dead, right? Yeah. And most of them, while they were living, got made fun of while they were living. So they either got made fun of, persecuted, or killed. Um, And even when we think of more modern prophets, they all get killed or made fun of as well. Whether it was Malcolm X, um, and he was also known towards the end of his life as Malik El-Shabazz, whether it was, I meant to put Marcus Garvey in here, and I wrote him here, but I didn't write him in my talk. Um, Marcus Garvey, who was an amazing um, black radical prophet of 1920s, 1930s. The six black organizers of the Ferguson uprising in 2014, who have all mysteriously died since that uprising, right? They, they spoke into the prophetic of what this country should look like, as well as what their county and their city should look like. They're all dead as well. And even little, where should I point this? And even little old Greta Van uh, Thunberg, 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 who is the only one who isn't dead, but she gets made fun of by adults a lot, right? Being a prophet, being in the prophetic, isn't very comfortable. Um, And this is kind of taking a dark turn that I don't want to get too stuck in. Um, But what I'm trying to get at is that the prophetic is super uncomfortable. But it's also an invitation into something. It's an invitation to rest in that discomfort and to be led into the deliverance that comes with that discomfort. Discomfort moves us forward and leads us to deliverance. So I want to draw our focus on Miriam, the prophetess, or prophet. She was the uh, sister of Aaron and Moses, and when the Israelites were led out of slavery in Egypt, she led the celebration of that freedom for for the Israelite women, with tambourines and dancing. Um, I really want to compare Miriam's song to Mary's song when she first finds out that she's gonna be pregnant with Jesus. Um, So right now, we're going to take a look at Exodus 15. Take a look at Exodus 15, 18 through 25. And I'm gonna read this one to us, and then we're gonna read the other one as a group. The Lord reigns forever and ever. When Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them. But the Israelites walked through the sea on on dry ground. Then Miriam the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a timbrel in her hand, and all the women followed her with timbrels and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted, both horse and driver, he has hurled into the sea. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. And when they came to Marah, they could not even drink the water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, well, what are we even going to drink? 
What I like most about that story is the fact that they did all that celebrating in one moment, and then like two seconds later, they were like, well, I could use some water. Where's the sp Poland spring? So to bring us back to the idea of that discomfort, I think those last verses really does that for us. I think that it's a really important illustration for this story to see their discomfort even after that deliverance. The Israelites' deliverance from the Egyptians includes a ton of discomfort for many years during the time that they were um, captured slaves as well as afterwards. God had freed them from their chains in Egypt, but they were still in transition into the promised land, and that was uncomfortable. Discomfort accompanies deliverance and delivery. In fact, I'd even go as far as to say that discomfort and delivery are synonymous with one another. And again, they lead us forward into a sweeter newness, into the prophetic, like a sweet little new baby. And just like the discomfort that an expected mother experiences in bringing her sweet baby into the world, and even the great discomfort that comes after delivering a sweet little baby, that's kind of what the Israelites experience in their transition from Egypt into the promised land. The parting of the Red Sea sort of operates as this um, symbol of birthing. It was a space of pain, it was a space of discomfort and maybe even fear that comes with delivery. And for the Israelites, it was a space of um, transitioning into that sweet baby newness of freedom. But that's not just easiness. But even with the delivery of freedom, they had to continue navigating the discomfort to get to their promised land. Just like... Um, just in the same way that God delivered the Israelites from the Egyptians and pushed them along into their discomfort and into, and into more deliverance, God promised and gave us deliverance through this sweet baby Jesus. And part of me wanted to put that um, Will Ferrell clip up, but I'm more serious at this point, so I couldn't do that. But we can look at the Israelites' deliverance as a sort of symbol for our deliverance through the birth of our Savior. So let's take a look at Luke 1, 39 through 55. Um, and I like this picture of Moses parting the Red Sea. I think it's really beautiful. So let's take a look at those verses. And if people wouldn't mind helping me out with reading that, I'd appreciate it. Thank you. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been my humble state of the servant. From now on, all generations will come to us, but the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed
has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our Thanks. So I'm just going to end by really emphasizing um, how the Israelites' deliverance is super comparable or even metaphorical to our deliverance from to uh, to our deliverance um, through Jesus. Miriam's prophecy and celebration of deliverance from Egypt um, absolutely mirrors the very delivery and labor of Mary, Jesus's mother. She labored and she delivered our deliverer to us, just like God promised throughout the Old Testament. Just like God promised the Israelites deliverance, um, and just like they experienced the discomfort of delivery, Mary's discomfort in delivery afforded us Jesus, and we praise God for that. And in the discomfort of the space between here and deliverance, we can depend on our deliverer to save us and comfort us daily. My invitation is to walk into the discomfort of that prophetic deliverance, just like the prophets before us, and just like the Israelites before, and to wait in that anticipation and uncomfortability of deliverance like the prophets and Israelites before us. So I'm going to pray for us. When I timed that earlier, it was like 15 minutes. I think that was more like 10. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we can do a little talk back. Does that sound good? Um, God, thank you so much for this community, um, and thank you for all of the people that are waiting in anticipation of what you're bringing to us next. God, continue to um, guide us as we move forward with you, as we move forward into the Christmas season, as we move forward into this new year and this new decade. God, continue to encourage us in the prophetic and continue to... Um, Remind us that you are present with us in those weird spaces, in those weird places where we don't quite feel comfortable. Remind us that you're our comforter. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.